You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Before we dive into God's Word, I want to give a little context uh, as to what we value at our church. One of those things that we highly, highly value, and maybe you even uh, sense that this morning, uh, one thing we value is worship. Uh, this, this corporate time together as a church family, as a church community, where we experience the presence of God together. We feel like uh, worship is, is one of those uh, expressions, not just of music and the, the technical parts, but this expression deep within our souls of who God is. So when we open up our mouths and we declare who God is, and I feel like sometimes people, there, there kind of becomes this division in some churches where some people feel like worship's not their thing. Because they're maybe not music, musical, maybe they, they can't honestly uh, carry a tune at all. And so they kind of set themselves to the side and they maybe just kind of survive worship. Some people even decide they, they'll come 30 minutes late for, for church just so they don't have to, to, to endure worship. But I really want us to push beyond that as a church for everyone to, uh, I guess, uh, experience the high value of worship in your own relationship with Jesus. And I believe over the next 10 months specifically, as we're diving through this series called Live the Message, I believe God's going to heighten the value of worship in our church. That there is going to be an increased atmosphere of God being put in his rightful place in this church and in our personal lives. And so over the next few weeks, I would just encourage you to, to maybe take steps beyond where you've been in your personal worship. That means, yeah, Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday mornings, Maybe that means actually opening up your mouth. Maybe that means kneeling down. I've found in my own personal life, when I kneel down before the Lord, there is a, there's just a, an extra amount of uh, humility that's required to really experience uh, worship in a profound way. I've f- discovered that in my own life. Maybe it means raising your hands. Maybe it means singing your own song to the Lord with your own words. I don't know what it means, but I, I just feel like I felt prompted to encourage us in that way. Worship is important to us. It really is. Have a high value for it. We're going to open up God's Word this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The title of my message this morning is Firsthand Christianity. Firsthand Christianity. And I believe, I want to speak a message of hope, that you yourself, you can experience a personal relationship with Jesus Christ firsthand. It doesn't need to be secondhand, regurgitated Christianity through somebody else. A vicarious relationship with God because of family heritage or through a priest. No, Jesus broke the great divide. And he made it possible for every single human being in this place to experience firsthand relationship, Christianity, what Jesus came to bring about 2,000 years ago. I strongly believe that. In my family, we have four kids. My two oldest, they... They cross that milestone, that significant milestone in any kid's life where they learn to ride their bike without their training wheels. Maybe you remember that milestone in your own life. For, for my kids, it was around the age of five. They, they conquered that mountain in their lives, and it's a huge point of celebration. Well, my, our thirdborn, Addison, she's only four years old. But she's watched her older siblings conquer that mountain, that milestone. And so she had this extra amount of ambition in her heart and courage to, to take it on earlier than the others. And so actually just last week, she said, hey, Dad, I want to ride my bike without my training wheels. And I'm not going to shoot down that courage and that ambition. If you know Addison, she is our most animated, expressive, just ball of energy in our home. And I wasn't going to squelch that. So 
I said, okay, let's go. We, have a, we live next to a parking lot, so it's a great place for kids to learn to ride their, their bikes without their training. We took her back to the parking lot, and we started. Literally, she made it about 10 feet. And in typical Addison fashion, she, she's very dramatic, very expressive. She started going, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she started dramatically moving her handlebars dramatically back and forth as though that would help her correct what was happening. But lo and behold, she crashed into the asphalt. There were no tears, but she got up and she said, Dad, I want my, my bike with the training wheels. That's what I want. <laughs> and so she didn't, she didn't last very long. She has gotten back up and tried again, still to no avail, and I'm going to still, still keep encouraging her. But as it is in a lot of... Um, things that we conquer in our life, there's a huge difference between theory and watching some, something as a spectator, you know, secondarily, watching, okay, I, I think I got that figured out, how that works in theory. There's a big difference between that and actually hopping on the bike and figuring it out for yourself. You could use the same analogy with swimming. You, you, can, only, you can read about swimming and, and think about it and watch somebody swim, but until you jump in the water and get wet, you really can't learn how to swim. And so it is in our walks with Christ. There's, there's, a, there's a moment that we have to leave. We have to jump in head first and experience for ourselves true Christianity, truly what Christ paid for for us on the cross. And there's a, there's a quote that I have written inside of my daily Bible, the Bible that I use on a daily basis. And it's a quote by A.W. Tozer, and it simply says this, Whatever else it embraces... True Christianity must include genuine encounter with God. Without this, religion is but a shadow, a reflection of reality, or a cheap copy of an original once enjoyed by someone else. And I feel like far too often we settle for a cheap copy enjoyed by someone else. And we sit, sit to the sidelines as a spectator. We say, oh, that's great for them. They've experienced something I haven't. Well, I would, I would propose, I would contend that that would be an invitation for you to experience it for yourself. That's really Jesus' best for your life is for you to experience firsthand Christianity. That's my question to you this morning. Are you experiencing Christ firsthand in your life? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the, the book that we've been in the last four weeks now. We've gone through most of chapter 1, chapter 2. And we get to chapter 3, and, and really, Paul is being pretty repetitive. Our theme verse for this next 10 months is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where he says, My message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. That was Paul's strategy amongst, I, I believe, most of the towns and villages and the provinces that he went to. But he lays it out for the Corinthians. This is my strategy amongst you. That you would experience the power of God. That when awesome Paul leaves, that you wouldn't be left floundering. But instead, you'd be grounded firmly in an actual encounter with the power of Jesus. That was his strategy amongst them. And he keeps repeating that in chapter 1, chapter 2. And we get to chapter 3 and we'll see. He's going to keep nailing that, hitting that foundation strongly. So let's read it here in chapter 3. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another, and you quarrel with, with each other. 
Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of this world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose. And both will will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, which is Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. So we're going to stop this morning. Are you experiencing Christianity firsthand? Through your own personal relationship, personal experience in Jesus. I believe Paul here in verse 11, when he says there's no other foundation that we can lay other than the foundation of Jesus, he's reiterating what he stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2. That it's the power of Christ that's going to sustain us. That's what, we, that's what brings us into the kingdom of heaven, and that's what sustains us in, in the kingdom of God. It's actual power that translates to our lives Monday through Sunday. And I have a, a vision for our church. It relates to even what I said earlier about this being a place of worship. I have a vision for this place to be such a strong place of the presence of God. When people walk in here, their perspective on life changes. That when the goodness of God seems so distant from their lives out there, that when they walk in here, all of a sudden the goodness of God seems so tangible, palpable. They can't deny it. That's the presence of God that I believe is is attracted to a people that are actually worshiping and in love with him. He's so attracted to that. And I believe that was Paul's heart for the Corinthian believers. And as he he, uh, caught wind of what was happening in Corinth, He caught wind that there was division and quarreling and sexual immorality. There were actually lawsuits happening in Corinth. Believers suing other believers. It's a bad day in a church. There's all sorts of church drama and church difficulty. He caught wind of this. He's like, are are you guys just acting just like the world? What happened to what I thought was the foundation of actual encounter with Jesus Christ? What happened? I believe what Paul was observing is oftentimes what the world has, has observed of the church. And the, one of the big critiques of this generation of the church is what? It's the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. And if you, if you do a quick Google search, you can find any number of lists of why people don't go to church today in the year 2018. And towards the top of the list usually is, is that. The church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I want to go there? If everyone's just putting on a mask and putting on a smile... I believe that should bring us to our knees. That should cause us 
to do some soul searching. That should cause us to be saddened. That that's the reflection of the world on the church. Unfortunately, the response of some church leaders and pastors has, has been this in response to that critique that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Their, their, their attempt is to kind of be humble and say, oh yes, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites and, and you're one of them and, and I'm one of them. We're all just a bunch of hypocrites. But I want to caution us away from that sort of response. Jesus never once used hypocrites in any sort of positive light. Jesus was the one who most often used that indictment upon religious leaders was, yes, there are a bunch of hypocrites. Hypocrites literally means pretenders. And so we, we do not want to claim that over our lives, that we are being pretenders. If we feel like, well, if that hits home, that maybe we are pretending, we are putting on a mask, we are putting on smiles, we got to get on our knees, we got to repent. And I would even encourage us as a church corporately that we, if that's the critique that anyone ever has of our church, that, that we've, we would run to these altars, we would get on our knees, we'd cry out to God, God, do something real, because what this world needs is an authentic church. And, and so that does not mean that we're not familiar with our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. No, we, we can be very raw and open and honest about the brokenness that even, even now we are experiencing in our lives. And it's that that's so, I think, powerful to this world when they see a brokenness and a humility to admit our own dependence and need on God. But then we also, at the same time, we have this, this raw um, pursuit of the promises of God, the fullness of victory over sin. So the world needs that type of encounter with an authentic church. And Paul recognized it. Sadly, the world recognizes it of the church I would say, I would pray that that would never be the indictment upon our church. This is where I want us to go this morning. It's this main idea. That we build authentic relationship on a, on a foundation of personal encounter. It's one step at a time. God's best for your life is for you to have an authentic relationship with himself daily. Not surviving week to week, Sunday to Sunday. But Monday through Sunday that you would have an authentic relationship with God. And, and this morning, through this text, we're going we're gonna to discover just two ways in which we can develop that sort of authentic relationship. But you can't really get going on an authentic relationship with God if first you don't have an encounter with Jesus. And I want to expound on that word, because that word encounter is not necessarily a word that we directly translate anywhere in the English Scripture. But that word is something that's resonated with me over my lifetime as an accurate description of, of the testimony of Scripture. A time and time again, what's required for people to really um, stand the test of time is an actual encounter, a moment where their eyes are open. It's not a matter of sensationalism. It doesn't need to feel or look a certain way, but at, at its most uh, core level, what it is is a moment where your eyes are open, your spiritual eyes are open, where you realize your need for God, that God is the solution, the, the, the fulfillment of the longings of your soul. That's where it all starts, is that moment. And I pray that over every person in this place. Saturday nights, many times I spend my, my time right here crying out for that very thing over every person that walks in this place. They, they have a moment where their eyes are open to the goodness of Jesus. There's an encounter with God that starts the relationship, and then there's this, this amazing pursuit of authentic relationship with God. And even in that relationship, there's many key moments, and I've talked about those moments in my own life, 
Those moments where I would consider, again, as encounters with God, where, again, he opens our eyes, he opens our hearts to, experiencing, to experience something new in him in that moment, in that season. So God's best for your life is authentic relationship, raw, real, tangible relationship with him. So let's look into this chapter a little bit more and discover how we can build authentic relationship. And I want to key on that word build. build building is something that's uh, it's very, um, very hands-on. It's not passive. It's very active. It's very intentional. It's very um, calculated. It's, it's, you don't just uh, whimsically go and build something, right? You draw plans, you estimate, and you make it happen. And in our relationship with God, there needs to be an intentional pursuit of an authentic relationship. It's not just going to happen tomorrow unless you say, I want to do something different to pursue God in a real way tomorrow. And so here's just two ways from this text, from 1 Corinthians 3. One is this, recognize the battle. Recognize the battle that we are all in. It's a spiritual battle. Paul highlights that right there in the beginning in verses 1 through 4. As he's calling them out for their hypocrisy, he highlights a battle, a spiritual battle, that he also highlights in many of, many of his other letters, in Galatians, in Romans, in Colossians. He highlights this spiritual tension that we enter into when we encounter Christ for the first time. So when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a party that's dead, that's dormant. It's your spirit man. There's nothing there. It's emptiness. It's void. When you, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, that third person of who, or that third part of who you are, of your person, it's the most intimate part of who you are, comes alive. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. All of a sudden, the world that was black and white is now a living color. You begin to see the world differently. But there's this tension then that's, that's, that's begun, that's started, this war within you between the old you and the new you. Your sinful nature, as Scripture talks about, that's, that's what he said right here. Is you're still controlled by your sinful nature in verse 3, that's what he said. You're still controlled by the old you. There's this battle between the old you and the new you. And I want to empower all of you to call it like it is. Call it like it is. You are in the midst of a battle. Many believers, and they come to me desiring prayer and counsel. They, they, they feel beat up. They feel discouraged. They feel like they can't, they can't get any traction in their relationship with God. And they, they won't take the courage, the boldness to admit that they are in a battle. That's, it's not unique to them. No, when they committed their lives to Christ, they were entering into a battle right away. Spirit and flesh, the old you and the new you. So if we call like it is, it can give us some courage to move forward and to contend for something more. So it's not God's best for you to be controlled by the old you. That's not unique to you, the fact that your old self keeps rearing its ugly face. Some people begin to believe the lie, oh, what I encountered in Christ must not have been legitimate. It must not have been real. It must have just been something, some fleeting thoughts and some emotionalism in the moment. Those are lies of the enemy. If you begin to call like it is and say, no, I'm in the midst of a battle, of course the old self is going to be rearing its face. But I am now a new creation. 
So I believe that authenticity, authenticity in our relationship with God is being brutally honest with ourselves. that this tension is real, that we don't graduate from that until we pass on into heaven. That tension is real, it's daily, it's every day, and nobody's exempt from it. Be honest with yourself. Then you can begin to be honest before God. He is not oblivious to it. He's fully aware of it. And you can then vocalize that to him. God, I'm in the midst of a battle. The battle is real before me. God, give me strength. Give me grace to have victory today. Because then thirdly, then you can be brutally honest with the promises of God. The promises of God that you have power over the old self because of Jesus Christ. You have power over sin. You've been granted freedom in Christ. So many people set those promises aside as fantastical, um, just fantasy and tales, or only relegated for some future day, instead of clinging to the promises as food for your soul today that, that gets you past the battle that you're in right now. I'll highlight that here in Romans chapter 6, 6 through 8. Paul, it's one of the, like, the most iconic depictions of the battle in which we are in. Where Paul, Paul brings it to light, and he's brutally honest with us. It's on the screen. But in verses 6 through 7 of chap, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, he says, We know that our old selves are crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You should say that over your life. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Before you encountered Christ, that's all you could do. You can't choose righteousness in yourself. You are a slave to sin, but then when you encounter Christ, when you surrender your life to me, you're no longer a slave to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You were set free. I am set free. So then we move on to chapter 7, and here's where Paul gets honest. That doesn't mean just instantaneous microwave Christianity, instant, instantly free tomorrow morning. Because what does chapter 7 say? He says, I've discovered this principle in my life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Like our good intentions, our desires get squelched Monday morning. And we made an oath to the Lord, and then it all comes crumbling down. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another po power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. He is so brutally honest. I love it. It's refreshing. Paul is okay with being honest with God in that way. That he's a miserable person, that he is broken. This is what he continues to do. His good intentions quickly fall short. But he doesn't just, he doesn't just grovel there in the, the depths of despair. Because in the very next verse he says, So now there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, meaning you were purchased with a price, you were adopted as a son and daughter, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You have been set free. That is a reality here and now, and you can claim that over your life. 
So yes, the sinful nature can still rear its face, but you can then also have victory in that moment through Jesus Christ. That's authenticity, to recognize the battle. Don't turn a blind eye to the battle. Don't pretend it's not there. Just face it head on, because you got the Spirit of God in you. You're meant to be victorious. Secondly, the second thing we can take out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in relationship, in, in building an relation, authentic relationship with God, it's this. Get drawn to the person of Jesus and not the personality of others. Because here was a big downfall in the church in Corinth, is they were so drawn to the charisma of leaders. They had their divisions of Peter and Apollos and, uh, and Paul, and there, there was other uh, super apostles they considered themselves. These, these leaders who would rise up and try to sway, dissuade people away from Paul. So they were easily wooed by leaders. And I feel like so many times we, we, get, we get, I guess, uh, turned around in our pursuit of Jesus because we put people up on a pedestal and place them as a personification instead of just a, an ambassador, a representative of Jesus. They're just meant to express the goodness of God in a unique way. But they're not perfect. And so oftentimes we, we put them up on this pedestal of personifying Christ. That's not, that's not really what they're meant to do. Verse 7, he, he gives context as to their role. Any of our any, any roles of, of other believers or leaders, people that disciple you in your life, their role is really to plant, to water, to play their part in the process in that moment. He says it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. It's the fruit. It's the fruit that is the hope and the desire. It's not the, the planting or the watering, who does what. But it's the desire for fruit, for tangible fruit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, there's a, I think, a, a clear expression of how it's supposed to work. As people are supposed to encourage us in our relationship with God. And I, and I am a product of many people who have poured and, and planted seeds and watered those seeds in my life. I stand before you for that reason. But anytime I've propped them up into a a place that they're not supposed to be in, I've been disappointed. And so many times people leave churches offended because people disappoint them, and it breaks my heart. There's actually a, a pastor out in the Northwest, that's where we moved before we moved to, or that's where we lived before we moved to Iowa, it was the Northwest, the Seattle area. There's a pastor in Tacoma that on the weekends, on Saturday nights, we would go to their weekend Saturday night services and just to be encouraged because we were serving at a church on Sunday mornings. We'd also go on Saturday nights to this church, and this pastor was amazing. He just ministered a lot to our lives. It just came out a couple months ago that he, uh, he got accused of all these, this sexual misconduct, and, and it was just a, a tragic failure of a ministry. So for some of us, that would devastate us to the place of questioning everything. But I'm so thankful that God's allowed me to still take the blessings of his ministry, because God did deposit certain things into my life in that season. And his failure doesn't need to steal what God put into my life in those seasons. And so let's be a church that moves beyond that, that moves to the authentic, that none of us are beyond potential failure. There's this air of humility 
We're not putting people in this place that honestly they can never sustain. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, he says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. This is probably the best description of it. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. So you're not, you're not saying, come back to me. Come to me, to my church, to my personality. You're saying, come back to God. People can forget our names. They can, they can forget your contribution into their life. As long as you're pointing them towards Christ. We get to represent Christ to the world. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. So, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That is the proper context of people's role, of our roles in, in each other's lives. We all just get to be um, a representation that points people towards Christ. And I want to I close in this way, how he closes this, this passage, verses 12 through 15, because he brings us to Judgment Day. He brings us to the end of all days, when everything will stand before the throne, what he calls Judgment Day. He says, everything we've been building, in this context, building authentic relationship with Jesus, it will all, it will all be tested. He says, some of the things that are built will be built out of gold, silver, and jewels. Some will be built out of wood and straw and stubble. And it will all pa pass through this, the, the wall of flames, as the New Living Translation says. It will pass through the judgment fire. And only that which passes through and survives really matters. I would say authentic relationship with Jesus is built to last it's built to, to, to move beyond the facades and superficialities of impressing other people and going through the motions and playing the games of church and people-pleasing and living up to other people's expectations. Authentic, authentic relationship is so raw and sometimes offensive, but it's built to last. I believe that's God's best for your life. It's this built on a firm foundation of personal encounter with Jesus, and then intentionally built with material that, that really has substance to stand the test of time. And it'll pass through the wall of flames, and there'll be something to show, something to set at the Father's feet on that day. I'm going to invite Paige to come. I want us to respond to Jesus. If you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I always feel like the best thing to do after we look into God's word together is to respond to God because such a wide variety and spectrum of people come on a Sunday morning. I want us all to walk away with something tangible that means something for our life today and tomorrow and the next day. So the best way to do that is to respond. I want to encourage you with this. Before Jesus came 2,000 years ago, there was always a need for some sort of mediating. There was either a priest or a ritual that was required for us to have any sort of connection to God. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago, the greatest symbol of our need for that sort of mediation was torn. The veil, this 18-inch thick veil, this garment that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies, it was torn, not from the bottom up by man, but from the top down 
signifying that the great need for our bridge was uh, solved through the person of Jesus Christ. No longer needing a ritual, no longer needing a priest. Now you and I don't need to, have to experience something secondhand. You don't need to listen to the priest about what it was like in the Holy of Holies. No, now you are invited to come boldly into the throne room of grace. I want us to respond in that way this morning. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.